Good day, I'm Patrick Lawley here for Investec Focus Radio and joining me today is Chris Becker who's the blockchain lead here at Investec. Welcome Chris. Hi Patrick, it's good to be back here talking to you. Let's, let's kick off with what's been in the news. We've seen cryptocurrencies have had an absolutely torrid time this last year and recently. Um, speculators have lost a lot of money by the looks of things. What's your sort of take on all of this? Yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride in the last few years. Firstly, the price of cryptocurrencies uh, went up many multiples from 2015 to 2017. Peaking in a, in a massive mania in December 2017 and since then, the prices of cryptocurrencies have been, been crashing pretty much across the board. Some cryptocurrencies have, have lost 100% of their value, have effectively become worthless. Others have lost like 90% of their value and, and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin I think has, has lost a bit less, around 50 to 60% of it, actually more than that as well. Down from $20,000 to $3,500 today I think is the latest price. How I interpret this is that cryptocurrencies are like access tokens to blockchain technology. So you, you can think of it like if you enter an economy like America, if you go to America and you want to buy stuff in America, you've got to buy some dollars in order to spend it in America because it's that country's legal tender. It's the currency that is kind of specified by the government to be used in that jurisdiction. The same can be said for when you go to Europe, you've got to use the Euro, the UK, you've got to use the pound and so on and so forth. And when you want to use the Ethereum blockchain or the Bitcoin blockchain, if you want to access the Bitcoin blockchain, you've got to own some Bitcoin to access that economy. And the same goes for Ethereum and Cardano and a whole bunch of these new blockchain technologies that are out there today. So again, if I want to use smart contracts on top of the Ethereum blockchain, for whatever use case, you know, it might be for... We were just talking about registering and trading arts on the blockchain. If I want to use that functionality on the Ethereum blockchain, I've got to own some Ether and I've got to spend some Ether to use the blockchain for that purpose. But the thing is, like, not many people use these blockchains today and the use cases aren't very developed and it's not very widely used. In the latest data I was looking at a couple of months ago, somewhere around 0.2% of the world's population. So that's 0.2%, so it's you know, um, a fraction of a percent of the world's population is using blockchain technology. You kind of hinted at the answer to my next question, which is looking at the future of these cryptocurrencies, what needs to happen to turn them into a more liquid type of currency like our, our, our traditional currencies, or, or is it just a matter of time we have to wait and be patient? So you can think of it as a highly illiquid currency. Not many people are using this currency. And when currencies are illiquid, if you think of currencies in Africa like the Ghana and SETI or the Nigerian Naira, they tend to be more volatile than, than more liquid currencies like the US dollar or the euro, where a lot of people own it and trade it daily. And so that's why these currencies have fluctuated wildly. Not many people are using them to access blockchain technology and to use the technology. And because of that, these currencies tend to be extremely volatile and that's why the price is fluctuating wildly. So little bits of optimism around the technology in the future and what it might be used for leads to these pronounced or amplified price movements. I think time can go past, but if time goes past and there's not much use for the technology, and another way of saying it is, if there's not much use for the technology, which is another way of saying, if there's not much use for the economy of the technology, then these currencies are not going to increase in value. So what needs to happen over time for these currencies to become more widely adopted, which I think 
is part and parcel of a process of people building trust in the currencies of these economies is that, well, there needs to be more value in, in utilizing and accessing these economies. So some of the things uh, you could think of that might offer people value is a financial system that, that has no borders, where, you know, in the same way that the internet standardized communications around the world, blockchain technologies could standardize financial services. Um, where somebody in South Africa or somebody in Zimbabwe, where today they're suffering another major financial crisis, the banking system is extremely short of cash. And so people are moving into other kinds of value tokens to substitute for the dollar and the, and the local currency. You know, people could suddenly over the internet access a money markets platform that runs on the Ethereum or on the Bitcoin blockchain. Those are the kinds of value propositions that aren't fully developed yet, but I think it will be coming down the road. In fact, there are several protocols running already where I've uh, just in experimenting, I've created some dollar tokens on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And I've lent it to somebody else at an interest rate of 4% on the Ethereum blockchain. And uh, I don't know who I've lent it to, but I'm earning 4% interest on dollars on the Ethereum blockchain. And so when, when I can start lending to people in Zimbabwe, there's massive value to people in Zimbabwe who can't today access dollars. They can, they can borrow those, those dollars from me and they can use it in the economy to maybe start a business or to import some very important medical equipment you know, or, or medicines or food or whatever, whatever it might be. So, so I think that's where this technology is going to be going in the future, but it'll most likely take a couple of years before more than 1% of the world's population is using it. Um, and, and you know, with that adoption comes trust, with use comes value. Um, so, again, you've you've kind of touched on some of the issues. I, I think my next question is really, what are some of the sort of everyday applications in the lives of our clients, for instance, that you could have from cryptocurrencies or this cryptocurrency economy? So, you know, as I was pointing out, the the technology ecosystem of blockchain isn't developed to the point where I think our clients are going to find tremendous benefit from using these services, but, well, using these protocols on top of blockchains. Um, but I, we just spoke about the example of, of Zimbabweans who um, are suffering a massive cash crunch, aren't able to borrow from the banks due to government controls and sanctions and whatever reasons. They would be able to borrow money, dollars, from people over the Ethereum blockchain um, and maybe start a business or, or import some goods and services. Um, I think in these, these countries with uh, suffering financial crises, you know, like Venezuela is another good example, is where you are seeing some of these use cases being adopted first. I think it'll take a little bit longer before your more developed and sophisticated financial systems, uh, like we have here in South Africa or, or, or in the US and Europe and so on, become displaced at the margin by blockchain technology. So I think that's still some way off. But, but yeah, really what we're talking about is a blockchain technology is a decentralized, open access, open innovation financial system. And um, yeah, it's, it, it certainly stands to disrupt any centralized closed loop financial systems in the same way that the internet disrupted um, closed-loop communication systems. Now, Chris, let's say you're at a dinner party someday and you tell everyone what you do for a living and they say to you, ah, blockchain, cryptocurrency, I'm, I'm thinking of getting involved in investing. 
What are the sort of things you'd be, you'd be advising them about? Not to say that we're not going to give advice about whether it's a good or bad investment. Yeah, look, I think so. So if it's somebody who's, who's completely new to the technology and this, this asset class, it's very important to highlight that in, in a legal sense, when you own a decentralized crypto asset, there are no custodians. And uh, well, there are some companies trying to be custodians, but it, like if you own a crypto asset, that crypto asset is secured by cryptography. And uh, cryptography is really just a string of, well, cryptography is mathematics effectively, which means it's a string of numbers and letters that is like your password to your account. And if you ever lose that password or if somebody else gets hold of it, they effectively own your asset and they can take your asset and transact in it and they can take all your funds. And, and that's the, the sort of second part of this is there's no legal recourse to try and get those funds back as you would be able to maybe get funds if they were you know, taken from your bank account today in a regulated financial market, there will be some kind of recourse, but not in the world of crypto assets. And so I think those are two extremely important points is, is if you lose your private keys, if you've not taken good care of them and somebody else gets hold of them, your funds will be gone and there's nobody to call to try and get those funds back. They're gone forever. I think, I think a third point is what we were speaking about earlier is that this is a highly liquid speculative market still. We're not quite sure what the sort of full extent of the use cases built on top of the technology is going to look like. And as a result, these currencies to access these economies are, are, are extremely volatile in terms of price. And so people need to be able to withstand very rapid gains in price, which I think most people like, but also massive drawdowns in price and value like we've seen in the last year. So people need to have a strong stomach or at least put money at risk that they can afford to lose. Go back to blockchain itself. Um, you know, there seem to be some exciting developments in the sphere. You know, some of the, the, the applications, everyday applications that, that are being used, financial and non-financial. Maybe you can chat us through some of the more interesting ones you've seen. Some of the more interesting applications I've seen. Um, so a big criticism of, of cryptocurrencies today is that they're volatile and that they're not legal tender, so they're not medium of exchange and as a result they're not money. Um, one of the I think very interesting applications of Ethereum has been to build a smart contract which takes Ether which is Ethereum's cryptocurrency as collateral against which you borrow a newly created token called DAI, D-A-I token. And the DAI token is effectively a dollar stablecoin collateralized by Ether. Okay, so you know, when I say a dollar stablecoin, it means it's, it's, it's a currency on top of the Ethereum blockchain, ledgered on top of Ethereum, that is valued one to one against the US dollar. So that's a very interesting application. Um, I, just earlier I was watching a presentation from the team that, that built the smart contract called the MakerDAO team. Who, they are now beginning to move towards taking different types of assets as collateral against which to create dollars, but also starting to accept DAI, which is dollar tokens against which to create other forms of, of, of loans. So there are very interesting applications that, that will start taking place there. Now, you've got one smart contracting platform called MakerDAO to create these dollar stable coins called the DAI token. What other protocols are doing, um, like Compound or Dharma, and you can just browse to these on your, on your browser, like the Compound protocol in Ethereum, just Google it. 
It's effectively a money market protocol built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. So you can, and this is where I was talking about earlier, where you can lend your, your dollar tokens to other people. I can browse to the compound protocol. I can enable my DAI token that I control in my Ethereum wallet uh, for lending to others. I then deposit that DAI token or tokens into a smart contract that pulls all other people who have deposited their DAI token into that smart contract and they lend it out to other people on the blockchain. So that's a very interesting use case too. Then I might own some kind of token and I want to trade it with somebody else. Um, so I want to put my, I'm sick and tired of this DAI token, I don't want dollars, I now want to own something else like Ether. I can go and sell my DAI token by browsing to a protocol like AirSwap. What AirSwap is, is a peer-to-peer -peer token trading protocol built on top of the Ethereum blockchain that intermediates token trades or transactions through smart contracts. So what I'm saying is like if you Patrick own um, a token and I own something else and we want to trade with each other instead of signing up for a brokerage account with different companies which brokerage accounts have relationships with custodians and they have relationships with the stock exchange Everybody, we all need all these intermediaries in order for us to be able to trade with each other on the JSC. You can eliminate all of those trusted intermediaries now through smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain, and we can actually trade tokens directly with each other. So I can, I can say, for example, I want to sell this token of mine for something else, another kind of token, cryptocurrency, at the following price. And I effectively submit that order into an order book that's recorded on the blockchain. And when you one day come along and you want to do the trade, whether it's one day or within seconds or hours, we don't quite know, and you're prepared to match the order that I've submitted to the blockchain, the transaction will execute. And so that's another very interesting use case because the AirSwap team has also now partnered with the Meridio, which is another platform that's tokenizing real estate. So you know, ownership in real estate can also be registered and recorded on a blockchain, which is another way of saying it's been tokenized, which then becomes tradable and investable. I can then, in a couple of months, it's going to go live. I'll be able to actually go and buy some tokens um, that might give me a share in some kind of commercial or residential real estate property in the US or wherever it might be. And I'll earn interest based on what I own, but then I'll also be able to trade it out and sell it to somebody else in a secondary market. So these are a few of the protocols that are going, that have gone live already on Ethereum. I think they're very interesting. They are, not many people even know about them. Uh, there's a movement called hashtag DeFi, it's for decentralized finance. And all these people thinking about uh, a world of decentralized finance get to, gets together all the time and are collaborating in a way that you just don't see in the traditional financial system. And that's why innovation's moving so quickly. Um, and I think we'll continue to move quickly, especially when you start to see institutional money coming into the space. When institutional money managers start understanding what's going on here, I think you can start to expect far more capital being allocated towards you know, funding innovation and, and very exciting and interesting entrepreneurial startups in the blockchain space. It moves into my next question, which is, you know, this is the world of technology we're talking about. There's lots of other incredibly interesting trends in the world of, of technology, a lot of it, the data-driven stuff like you know, AI and, and machine learning and so on. Is there an opportunity for blockchain and these different type of technologies to, to dovetail in some sort of way to create something even more powerful out there? 
Yeah, I think so, certainly. I mean, the one of the sort of fundamental premises of blockchain technology is that you can build these these applications on top of the blockchain with permissionless APIs. So anyone can access another application in order to, to leverage off its innovation, to come up with other interesting applications and use cases, which is quite different to how the world of, of APIs, which is an application programmer interface. So to strip it down from sort of technical jargon, if I want to use data from the Facebook platform, for example, I can use the Facebook API to pull some data or to integrate their login system into my website, for example. So if you go to some websites, you can use Facebook to log in there. That, that all happens through an API. But if Facebook doesn't like my website and they believe that I'm a potentially a competitor to their business, they can just turn me off. They can close the API down to me. Well, this doesn't happen in the world of, of blockchain. Like These APIs are open for anyone to use. Um, no one owns the API per se, and so everybody can use it. And so that opens up a whole new world of, of uh, possibility as far as innovation and uh, application development goes. And transparency as well, because you know, it's all these, these accusations about how data is used and or, yeah. or misused. Yeah, so I think what gets interesting is you know, when you start talking about using things like artificial intelligence and big data, I mean, the, the people who will most likely get the most benefit from, from this stuff today are the companies that are able to collect the most data. The Googles, the Facebooks, the Twitters of the world, you know, they'll be able to do a whole bunch of really interesting things with AI and big data. But for smaller companies that don't have access to those levels of data, like AI is not, it's not that useful. And you're going to have to pay somebody else to give you the information from the big data that they sit on. Um, now, I think what's important to think about here is that Facebook and these, these centralized internet companies, these tech giants, have these closed, siloed data centers that not everybody can look into in order to really benefit from the AI, to, to sort of crunch the numbers. What's interesting about public blockchain technologies is that, that these databases are effectively open. And, um, you know, there are no, there are no, well, at this point at least, there are no centralized companies that control the data of a blockchain. And so it, it could be the perfect platform on top of which to build AI and big data technologies to kind of leverage that, that these new forms of technology because these data centers are truly open and worldwide and, and you might get the most benefit out of crunching those numbers, so to speak. But like we were saying earlier, I mean, hardly anyone uses these platforms, so there's not much big data. It's still small data there. But I think in the future that could change. Chris, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what, what Investec is doing on the cryptocurrency and, and blockchain front. We've got a team of blockchain experts um, researching, reading, and trying to understand this technology and uh, what changes it could bring to the plumbing of the financial system. We are spending a lot of time trying to understand these trends and developments in order to socialize these ideas internally so that we can be best positioned in order to offer value to our clients if this technology ever was to go more mainstream and become more widely adopted. Is there such a thing as blockchain without crypto? Maybe you can talk us through that concept. There was initially. So in the early days of um, experimenting with blockchain technology, uh, you know, some people took the cryptocurrency out of the technology, so to speak, 
and then you could start ledgering or keeping track of other kinds of values in this blockchain uh, technology system. It's proven to be suboptimal, at least as far as the early experiments have gone. People have moved away from a blockchain architecture towards what they call distributed ledger technologies, which really starts to move away from the decentralized nature of a blockchain towards more centralized kinds of databases that just have better um, ways for different entities to interact with that database and to share the data and to keep that ledger uh, synchronized and updated. Yeah, so that's why people talk about distributed ledgers. They're not really blockchains. When we talk purely and strictly about blockchains, uh, the currency is a critical element. It's a critical ingredient because it's a native currency to that blockchain that incentivizes the provision of security to the blockchain technology. So, like, simply to think about it is, if you've got a, let's say, a spreadsheet that's open, that anyone can read and write information to, you run the risk of somebody just spamming and putting fraudulent information in there. So you need some kind of security system for it. Where the cryptocurrency comes in in a blockchain ledger context is that you've got to go and acquire some cryptocurrency. Let's use Bitcoin as an example. If I want to read, write and make changes to the Bitcoin spreadsheets in inverted commas, I've got to go and buy some Bitcoin that has a market value and I've got to spend some of that Bitcoin to get other people to go and update that ledger. And so the currency is a disincentive to distributed denial of service attacks is what the technical community will speak of. So when you remove the currency, you remove the security for, this, for the technology. And then we've got to look at other security models. And the security model that you have to fall back on is having a secure perimeter around the technology. You've got to start excluding people from using the technology, so to speak. And that kind of negates the entire point of blockchain technology. Blockchain technology is for open access, permissionless um, ledgering systems. Chris, it's been a fascinating conversation with you, as always. Thank you for joining us here on Investec Focus Radio. It was good talking to you again, Patrick. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on Investec Focus Radio. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.